Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Christie Scannon podcast. This week, I am joined by a really interesting guest, Rob Carroll from thevideoanalyst.com. In this episode, we really dig deep around some of the knowledge and experiences within performance analysis. Rob elaborates on his experiences working in the industry. He offers tips and guidance around how we can think critically around performance. We also think about maybe the social factors as well. What's it like to work in performance analysis? What's it like to work at a elite sporting organization? And is there longevity in the field as well due to demands within analysis and how significant it is within the field of elite performance? If you're new to the podcast, welcome. My name is Christy Scanlon. I run my own personal podcast where I interview special guests within the field of sport. The podcast is five months old. And we are coming to the end of the year, which will conclude shortly in relation to some of the guests we have lined up. We also have guests lined up in 2023, early January. So please look out for that. Feel free to subscribe, like, comment, rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening to this to ensure that you are helping push that to a wider audience. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for listening and enjoy this episode with Rob Carroll. FIFA have announced that semi-automated offside technology has been used during the, the FIFA World Cup and this is in place to help uh, match officials making the game more faster, more accurate in terms of decision making. Um, from your analyst point of view, what's your what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I, I don't, um, I, I kind of think about it from a slightly different reason, like I, I don't mind the technology there to help uh, get decisions right. Um, I think it's kind of interesting from a collection or a, from an analyst point of view is you, you have a load of events now that are happening that in previous years would have been called offside earlier. So you have these all these shots and things that are happening that, that maybe didn't happen before. And I, I kind of look at it from a, a data collection point of view is like, do you do you analyze those as missed shots because the player presumably was trying to score and didn't know they were offside, but then it's called offside and they don't count and whatever. So I kind of take a different view from a, an analyst's point of view is like, how do you account for those or not account for those or things like that? And how does that feed into your, your data models or your XG or, or those kind of things? I, I think that's kind of interesting. We've mentioned also artificial intelligence is going to come into play at some point, probably is in play now in terms of collecting data statistics and accuracy. Um, Thoughts on using artificial intelligence within professional sport? I still think there's huge room for for humans in in all of this. I, I like I don't think we're at the point where we're gonna, you know, point AI at a at a video of a match and it's gonna figure out the answers and and things like that. So I think there's huge room for humans. But where I do see it is, I, I think it can take a lot of the uh hard work off analysts and i think it can it can add a lot of a lot of context as well like you see kind of stats bomb 360 view of of kind of taking a, a snapshot of every event of where where players are um yeah i i think some of that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out and it's going to give analysts more opportunity it also requires a different skill set for analysts i think uh like when i would have started a good while ago you know your primary job was to video and collect events and video and collect events yourself. And, and that has its limits from a, a collection point of view and a time point of view. So I think some of the, the AI advancements and the computer vision and whatever is going to take, it's going to take that to another level and you're going to, an analyst going to have more data to deal with. And, and that changes the skill set a little bit. 
you mentioned when you started. So how did that journey in performance analysis begin? Uh, very like very much by by accident. I think I was just interested in in data. I, rare enough for an Irish guy in the in the nineties growing up. I, I actually played cricket, um, which isn't something a lot of people in in Ireland did at the time. And uh, I think I just always was drawn to numbers and averages. And obviously, it's a very a number heavy sport. So just trying to work out what was my average and bowling average and strike rate and, and these kind of things. I had an interest from then. And like anyone of a certain age, you have a Moneyball story of where you, I read Moneyball, uh, was really intrigued that it could be done at that kind of professional level and um, just started doing it for, for clubs here in Ireland. I actually started with a, a software company selling software that could do the analysis and tag games and things like that. And from there, then I started to, to do the analysis myself for different clubs and associations. And that was kind of how I got into it, but, but I always really had a love of the, the kind of numbers behind the sport, whoever basic they were in the nineties, it still intrigued me. Do you, did you feel the need to develop a sense of community practice then obviously with your website and, and developing some, um, some relationships with others within that analysis field, because it's very contemporary. You mentioned Moneyball, but if you think of it's contemporary, nature and we've got in comparison to maybe other disciplines do you did you sense the need that there needs to be something captured there to to bring people together or share knowledge within that field of analysis uh, absolutely yeah like i think like that's why i think it was 2008 uh or very late 2007 when i started the website and, and i i did it because initially i was selling software to clubs to allow them to do the analysis and to be honest they, they didn't have a clue like they, they they, they knew they wanted it and they're like, oh, this is exciting. But but then what? And they had no idea what to do with the data or just simple things that, that they didn't know how to do. And, and obviously I'm based in Ireland, so I don't have, you know, there's not many professional sports and, and clubs. And so they're not around me. You know, I can't go and visit, you know, Manchester City's training ground or their analysts or things like that. So the the website or blogging as, as I started was uh was the way to develop that and i never had any plan for the video analyst turning into what it did turn into and, and getting the kind of audience that it got but it's uh yeah it was unbelievably powerful kind of way to connect with with analysts that as i said i couldn't bump into physically but virtually could could chat to and uh and i think they were all looking or a lot of them were looking for something similar you know they were all very siloed because obviously if you work for West Brom, you, you can't really go and talk to the Norwich analyst or whoever it might be. They're not going to tell you a whole lot. So um, so the website kind of became a bit of a channel for for people to start talking cross sport and uh, and, and for me to, to chat them. Like I got to chat to loads of analysts through the years and interviewed some of them and, you know, just had conversations, spoke off the record and you got to get an idea of what was going on in, in clubs. And so it gave me a huge insight into what was actually happening where before I had this idea of what a Premier League club probably did of in analysis. But uh, when you spoke to people off the record, you got a very different view of what that looked like. You said that there was a bit of a, a process of trying to educate people on the importance of analysis and the importance of software. I presume that's involved over time or recently. Is that process a lot more easier now to, to inform around? The yeah, I think, I think... It's obviously gone past the stage of educating people why it's necessary. So like uh, in 2005 and six and seven, when I was selling software, we were trying to convince people that they should 
do analysis and then hopefully buy whatever I was selling. But um, but that, obviously that that's gone now. Like you, you don't need to convince managers or teams that they, they need to be involved in analysis. Um, but I still think there's a huge piece of education around. I, I still think the development is good in places, brilliant in some places and still way behind in other places. I, I still think there's 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 a long way to go. And, and the skill sets changed quite a lot as well. I think uh, what you could do or what you were required to do as an analyst 10 years ago is is quite different to, to what an analyst has to do now. And, and the breadth of different types of analysts has changed entirely as well. So you said skill sets changed. Can you give us a little bit more insight on what those skill sets might look like and how they've they've differed over over a period of time? Yeah, like I I, I think back to like the, part of the reason I call the site the video analyst, which I, I would love to go back and change, is because in two thousand and eight it was primarily video you worked with, and okay, you took some data off that, but you were really just counting things that happened, shots, fouls, turnovers, that that kind of stuff. Um. And there was a little bit of analysis, but but mostly you were just kind of turning those that that those bits of data into a report that a manager could then see. And uh, where now it, it's entirely different, the breadth of data. Like if if you're at a club now, you know you have your own data that you collect. You have physical performance data from GPS and tracking data, and then you have all the third party data that you might purchase as well. And to be able to bring all that together to make a coherent message to join that up. You know, you're not trying to go back and scout the last two games of your opposition or three games that your opposition played. You can now go back five years, ten years. You can go back to that player playing in a different system in a different club. What did that look like? And so, I just think the breadth of what you've got to deal with now as an analyst has has kind of changed, and therefore the skill set of, you know, being able to use statistical modeling or Python or 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 just data visualizations tools like Tableau and and things like that. Uh, has has kind of changed it a bit. Can we have too much data? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's unnecessary at times. Yeah, and how does that impact practice then? Because I presume if we if we're overloaded with information, it must cause an overload in decision making. I presume. Yeah, I I think I think what we always have to be careful of is you can have too much data going to the players that that's a that's probably the biggest risk well that doesn't mean you don't or you stop collecting data but like you, you that's where the coaching and the analyst and the skill set comes in it's like well we collect all this we manage it we get it down we distill it but there's still a decision to say well what does the player need to know about that so for me i, I think that that's the bit where uh, it's probably getting better but for a while it was like every new bit of information had to feed itself to the player where I think you've got to get better at saying, sure, we want to collect all this data. And then as an analyst or a team of analysts, you've got to figure out what gets to the coaches and what's useful for the coaches. And then the coaches the coaches have to filter it again to say what's actionable by the players. Um, so while I, I think we can definitely have too much and, and some of it's unnecessary, um, you're still trying to figure out what's useful and what's not. But but for me, the most important bit is is what helps a player or a coach do the job differently? And and that's really the only bit that needs to get to them. We don't need to show them everything we've ever collected. You mentioned traditional coaches and getting used to technology. Have you ever come across experiences where 
an analyst might have had conflict with the coach because they've got the knowledge, they've got maybe information to provide and there's a bit of um, lack of interest and a lack of transparency between both in terms of relationship. Is that is that common in, in the field? I, I do think it's fizzling out. I, I think I think a large part as well is because players demand it as much now. Do you know, like uh, I, I know certainly in some of the, the team sports here in Ireland, it's even at an amateur level, what you have is is the players driving the professionalism and players driving the standards they want the kind of coaches to be at. So like I, I have a few examples of kind of old school coaches coming in to, to teams and not really wanting to do analysis or, or not seeing the merit in it. And it's it's almost the players are pushing the analysts and the coaches say we we have to do this and, and then we need to do this and this is the kind of area we need to look at. Uh but but definitely over the years you you've conflict or coaches who just have three or four things they want to look at and that's it. And it's very difficult to to get past, you know, looking at the corners and the shots uh, as an example. And you can't you can't get past any of that. That that definitely has happened. I, I think it's less and less, but but it definitely has happened here. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think um just to add to that, so again, speaking to other other people within performance analysis and potentially my my own experiences as well is they just see the analyst as a cameraman and it's changing that perception of you no, know, actually there's a lot more that goes into video and footage and how it can be analyzed and used. Yeah. Formally. I actually, I, I remember speaking to an analyst once and he got a new job and uh, we were chatting and he was, he was kind of asking for some advice and, and tips and, and whatever. And he, he was the only analyst on the, on the team. And I said, the best thing you can probably do is get somebody to help you with the video and you need to get off the tower and stand with the coaches and be with the coaches and listen to what they're directing a training. I was like, you'll learn more from hearing what they're looking for. So when you go back to edit the video and, and whatever, you, you've heard all their cues and their, what they've been saying to players and whatever. Um, and I, so I, I think you're dead right. Like I've got stuck in that position a few times where, you know, you've got involved in the team and because the resources are low, you end up as kind of chief cameraman and you're so far removed from the team and, and everything like that, that you're going back to your room and trying to code training or a match or whatever, but you haven't really heard what coaches have been saying. So I, I think that my advice to him was separate yourself from the the recording and get yourself in the coach's room and the team talk and the half time and just not to say anything, but just to hear what everyone is, is speaking about in the coaches. Cause you, you really should be an extra coach uh, as much as you should be a cameraman or an analyst or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's changing that perception, uh, as you kind of mentioned. Um, in terms of in terms of that process then, and I, I feel like a lot of students get opportunities to go into performance analysis because of the nature of, of the role. And as you said, that, that they might need a, a, someone to help with the, with the, the setup and the technology. Um, what, what is your thought on around pay and opportunity within performance analysis? Because... Uh, in comparison to maybe other disciplines, it's not necessarily wealthy in comparison to others. No, uh, I'm intrigued to hear your your views on that and and how we can maybe change that as a as a discipline within the sporting industry. Yeah, it's a really difficult one, and it like ever since I've I've started the site in 2008 and the posting jobs, and at the time. I'm going to make up a spurious stat, but it's like 90% of the jobs were unpaid internships that I was, I was advertising. And, and that has changed slowly due to law changes and uh, perception changes and, and, and everything. And just 
pressure to, to kind of pay and stuff like that. But uh, it's still, relatively speaking, a pretty low pay job, um, strictly being an analyst. Uh, partly, I've come to the realisation that I, I think some of that is unavoidable. I think, I think if your job is to video games, to code or, or kind of tag and, and present that back to coaches, I think with all the will in the world, that's there's, there's skill involved in it, but it's a relatively low skill part of the job. If, the, if that's the kind of end to end process that you do, it, that's a relatively low skill job. And there's so many people who want to work in sport and there's so many people who can pick up those skills and are probably willing to to do it for a season or two as an intern or uh, as a low paid job that, that that bit is so competitive. I just don't see that paying a living wage going forward, like a, a, a high wage or developing much. I think that part of the job uh, is kind of set in stone and <clears throat> the wage will tick along. I, I, I don't see a way out of that personally, or, or I do think you've a chance to earn money as, as an analyst is either becoming as much a coach analyst as an analyst, you can go that way. Or I think you go the, the kind of data, data science route, data engineering. I, I think that's where your your value add is much bigger. Uh, I think it's also where you develop skills that are applicable outside of sport. So if you want at some point to go and get a different career um, or go in a different direction or earn more money, there's there's a whole industry that are looking for people who can do data science, data engineering, data visualization. Um, and because of that, if clubs want good people, they have to compete with all the other industries that are going to hire these types of people. Or as I said, I think if you're capture code copy, as as I wrote a blog post once, if that's the extent of what you do, there isn't a lot of demand in the outside world for that kind of work. So clubs will, will find plenty of people to do that. But the, the future really is on the either coaching side or, or the data science side. Is it just the fact that it's an opportunity to work at a football club and there's a lot of demand for that. It's glamorized football. So they can just exploit the fact that they can just get one in people into, to volunteer because yeah. they work at a football club. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's a huge part of that. And like, you see that even in, in us sports and things like that, like even at the data engineering route, like you see a couple of jobs come up and like, I've heard people say, you know, that equivalent job spec for, that NFL club in Google would pay twice as much, but the NFL club would still be oversubscribed with, with applicants because there is that glamour. I think what, what sport misses out on is that people will do that for a certain period of time and either will burn themselves out because of the nature of high performance sport and, and when you have to work or eventually they get old enough and I don't know, they get married and have kids and have a house and a real life and suddenly like, well, I have to pay for this and I can get twice the wage over here. So that's the practical thing to do. So, uh, but there's a, there's enough there's enough people attracted by the glamour of sports that mm. that are willing to take pay cuts at, at any range to, to kind of do it. Yeah. So you're suggesting that maybe there's a lack of longevity within the industry because of that, because of the element of maybe supporting families and in the future. I, I think until the pay, I think until the pay matches what you can get in what I call the real world or in, in industry and in business. Uh, I think there's a practicality that eventually kicks in for some people. Obviously there's people who love sport and want to work in sport and will forever, regardless of, of the money. They, they just love the buzz of working for a club and, and it is a fantastic experience. It's not something you can get. I've worked for teams and all that. And now I work 
quite a bit outside of sport. Uh, and the sport buzz is not something you can really get in, in the business world. But yeah, I think there's a practicality for a lot of people eventually where it's like, my wage is, go- is this, it's probably going to be this for a long time, where if I go and get a job, I don't know, in Lego or IBM or somewhere like that, there's there's more of a career trajectory and, and things like that. There's more opportunities that open up. So I suppose it's more stability as well. If, um, like you said, if if an analyst follows a coach around and they are, you know, on average, not in the job long, especially in football, then there's also an element of, of yeah, you know, being yeah, okay you, in like one you, area and being happy and settled, you know, that must have absolutely impact yeah. on the person, you know. Yeah, you, you are seeing, like, if you look at, like, Liverpool, I know there's some changes there, but Man City would be another one. And uh, I'm sure there's loads of other examples where it it's interesting to see them putting in analysis teams regardless of the manager or the coach that comes in um but it's not everywhere right that that's only happening at, at, at some clubs but I, I do think clubs are getting smarter and saying this is like intellectual property that we can own and and if we have longevity of careers we can attract different people we can attract smarter people we can um we can have a career trajectory and we can build our kind of institutional knowledge um so I do, I do think clubs are getting better and smarter at that, but but it's it's not the norm, uh, and there's a lot of change. And you know, I look at people when I would have started my blog, you know, that came to me looking for advice and starting jobs and things like that. And uh, a lot of them have moved into different roles or more senior roles or more settled roles as they've got older because they need that stability uh, in their lives. Maybe we should start a union, Rob. Oh, I I, I do think there should be, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, I do think there should be. Uh, I I don't as a, yeah I don't know what difference it would make, and I would somebody has to pay for it somewhere, but uh, it could definitely do with a union. Yes. So in terms of those wanting to be an analyst, what makes a, a good performance analysis? You mentioned that there's a range of different disciplines, whether that's video analysis, recruitment analysis, a range of different areas where you can kind of look at data. What makes a good performance analyst within a certain sport? Yeah, it, it's so varied now in in terms of roles um, <clears throat> that you could you could have loads of analysts that will never meet anyone outside the analysis team. Um, so it 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 has changed a lot. I I kind of think ultimately what you're trying to do is help make a decision, help somebody else make a decision, whether that's a player or a coach or the recruitment department or whatever it is. And so for me, a big part. And it mightn't be in everyone's job description, but a big part is is just how you communicate with the non-data people, the non-analyst people in your uh, in your organization. Um, I still think that's just such a huge part of uh, of any kind of role around analysis is you can do all the the nerdy stuff and the clever stuff and and all that kind of stuff, but how do you sell that message? Whether it's a new model or something you've copied from somewhere else, it's it's how do you influence the coaches and the the powers that be that this is worth listening to and what difference it makes. I, I still think that's probably one of the key, the key elements to it. So having some form of leadership skill then and kind of having a good communication and, and confidence to elaborate on what you found and discovered and trying to inform decisions via that way. Is, is that? What yeah, it's, it's all, it, it's like this concept of managing up. So a lot of management is like how you management people below you and, your your peers and that kind of stuff but it's that ability to 
influence or manage manage up the chain it's you know these people are, are way above me in terms of football knowledge or sporting knowledge or their job title or anything but how do i how do i manage that that relationship and how do i influence that relationship so leadership managing up those, those kind of things are are, are kind of key you mentioned resources have you ever seen uh, anything cleverly utilized in terms of maybe those that haven't or those clubs or organizations that don't have much resources and they're trying to get one over those with maybe a lot more economic funding within within that area is there anything that you've come across that uh is quite unique i'm just intrigued to, to hear yeah mostly people who just uh work their asses off uh to be to be honest is is you see um <clears throat> The, the better ones are, are the ones who who automate what they can and, and kind of streamline what they can. And then you talk to others who are just working 70, 80 hours. Like I, I remember there's a story, uh, a rugby analyst uh, was going away to a tournament and he had a couple of assistant analysts with him. And this is going back quite a, quite a while, but he got them to wear a, a, a sleep band uh, during the night and uh, for this tournament. And... Uh, he collected the data of his two assistant analysts and himself, I'm sure. And he went back to the board and he said, this is how much sleep or lack of sleep my analyst team got during this tournament. This is how hard we worked, this is how many hours we were putting in. We're completely under-resourced and we need more resources. So I, I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of collect data on your own analyst team. And he went back and was able to get more resources to say, like, look how hard we're working here. Uh, this isn't sustainable. Um, over season, these, these people are going to get burnt out. Um, and you you still see a lot of that. I still see a lot of analysts who work very, very, very long hours. Like it's not a job that you're going to go into and expect to work 35, 40 hours a week. In, in terms of resources, I'm just intrigued. For example, during the World Cup now, would there be a deficit in resources there in terms of some of the countries playing around performance analysis? So you've got the European clubs where there's a big emphasis in comparison to maybe. African continent or other continents is there is there a deficit within analysis there and that could that impact you know who goes on to, to potentially go and win the win the tournament I'm just intrigued really I don't as, as yeah FIFA, I, I, has I would be in or do you know someone so FIFA, FIFA are actually collecting data and producing good kind of re really good technical reports you can you can go onto the website and they're they're freely available I think it's a 50 page PDF per for each game um and there's some really interesting stats and, and kind of information off that uh but I, i'd be astounded I, i'd almost i'd bet any money that there's not parity between what all the the countries yeah. are doing and the resource available absolutely not like like what england must have available both in qatar but also back at home in terms of additional analysts being able to to work through the night and, and do different things uh, yeah, I'd say there's huge disparity between uh, some by choice. I'm sure. I'm still. I'm sure there's still some coaches who are happy with a very minimal amount of analysis and happy to play on the cuff or or with their own version of tactics. And then I'd say you have the other end of of the spectrum. But but I'd say there's massive difference between what's available. And it but it is good to see a kind of governing body like FIFA step in and and produce because it at least raises the minimum that's available. Right, like regardless of resources any of those countries can go on and get those technical reports and it's at least some form of scouting for the next opposition if if that's all they have yeah definitely again just just intrigued really because if you consider 
like you said, the growing nature of, of performance analysis and the apparatus and tools to analyze certain things that there must be. Some yeah, I, I think somewhere. I think there's I think there's much more scope for governing bodies and even leagues um, to step in and, and kind of centralize a lot of these resources like a lot of the time. And I, I don't know if it still happens in, in English football, but you'd have, you know, the home and the away team both video on the game, for example. They're both standing on the gantry, videoing their own footage and not sharing it. And, you know, hopefully that, that has changed quite a bit. But you have a lot of that where it's essentially just a wasted resource instead of centrally recording something and making it available. Um, like I, know, I know, again, until the last few years, maybe five, six years, the Premiership was something similar where, where now they have a, a shared platform and, and they're, they're sharing some of that resource and, and stuff like that. But there's there's loads of scope, you know, for lower divisions, other sports to be able to to raise at least that minimum standard by kind of pooling some of that resource together. So there's a lot more collaborative practice then in a way to kind of yeah. this information. Yeah, I, I, think, I think teams realise that the, you know, they, they were very protective of the video in the first place. Like if I don't share the video, it, you, you wouldn't know how I play or whatever, which was quite stupid. I, I, I think I think a lot of them have gone beyond, you know, the kind of public stuff and, and they realise it's probably more what you do with, the available information than having the information in the first place. Like the difference between, you know, having a couple of data engineers or data scientists in a, in a team and what you could do with that data from a scouting point of view is vastly different than another club having one analyst. And just because they've bought a license to access the data, it doesn't mean that they can do anything with it or they can do anything comparable. So uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's down to what you can do with it, not what you can access. I think also as well, if you think of... Um, elite sport is so accessible now in terms of the commercialization that you know everyone's analyzing performance you know spectators fans of everyone's got an opinion yeah. on it you know so um it's a lot more accessible <clears throat> in comparison to maybe the nature of trying to try not to share things yeah and, and, and ultimately your, your data is available right whether somebody whether you share it with them or or not uh it, it's it's available people can get their hands on it there's been swapping of VHS tapes and DVDs and now files and data and all sorts going on. Like, uh, yeah, there's way more collaboration kind of off the record that happens anyway. So I, I don't know why leagues don't step in more, especially, you know, under-resourced sports and stuff like that. They could they can really raise the standard of it um, by by just just formalizing it a little bit more. Yeah, again, I'm just intrigued to see if, the, if there could be some alignment between using some form of measures to help that practice. Because, um, in a way, you know, like you said, it's objective, but also subjective in terms of how impactful it actually is. And, and I'm just intrigued to just hear what performance analysis might do in terms of growth to maybe support other disciplines and support other factors around measurement and and, and develop development with with other yeah. areas. Yeah, I think again, if you, if you go back to the kind of data side, I think it. That, that role can drift across a lot of those disciplines. Like if you take from like a medical point of view and an injury point of view, injury monitoring, GPS, that kind of stuff. And that's that's where I find personally the, the kind of data side of the analyst role gives you that expansion across departments, right? Is it you're not just analyzing what happens in the 90 minutes or the 80 minutes. It's, it's you have an opportunity to say, well, look, we've all this performance data, but I also know how to, gather data make it meaningful and put it together for the expert to be able to use so that that 
transition or that role can can cross multiple disciplines where your mm. your skill set is more about being able to bring data together and you're not a doctor or a medic or a physical strength and conditioning coach or anything like that but your skill set's been able to clean prep the data get it ready for an expert to step in and say oh right i didn't know that links with that and so the, I, I think it's more at that higher level than than the actual discipline itself but it's definitely somewhere where you can take your career in that direction we alluded to it a little bit earlier in in this episode but is there any myths around <laughs> analyzing performance maybe for those that are not within the sporting discipline and that they might be watching this as maybe a fan or an outsider is there any myths around using i think some of the biggest ones i hear is that all of the games are, are coded by the machine that there's no human involved like counting Messi's passes in a game in the World Cup is is done by a machine and even when you tell people that it's not and it's you know three analysts in an office in London or whatever they're like there's no way and you're like <laughs> uh, you know it still is one day maybe it's not but it still is people counting counting things I think that's definitely one I come across and the other one I hear a lot from especially around the recruitment space and things like that is you can have all the data, you can distill it down, you can pick the right player, the perfect player, but the amount of things from finding a right player to actually signing them and the amount of noise and oh, does the player want to live there? Does the player speak a language? Does their wife or girlfriend want to live there? And uh, yeah, just the amount of noise that goes on and how difficult it is. I think, I think there's one thing being able to analyse players and get to that. But when you step inside a club and you see how much other stuff goes on, um, that that's definitely one thing. I, I when I speak to any of the recruitment guys uh, and girls, that that's what they would point out that it's it's the job doesn't stop at identifying some good player. There's there's so much more that goes on to being able to sign them. Do you think that's where maybe a fault within recruitment might occur in terms of maybe that cultural aspect of? This player on in terms of data and performance and analyzing them for a certain period of time is fantastic and it's what we need as a, as a team and as a club but in terms of maybe settling getting used to cultural aspects and languages and other factors that might have an impact on them mentally and psychologically is that do you yeah think that's something that's not really considered maybe within that process if there was to be an issue within that i i think it, i i'd say some clubs are much better at it and and you know, have copied again other industries to, you know, that that look at, you know, relocating staff and, and what that looks like and the support structures. And but it's again that that's where it becomes hard to quantify, right? Like you can you can pick a lovely player and your model can show how he'd fit into your squad and these are the things he does. But like then all the human aspects of life take over, right? And like does he like his house and did he have a row with somebody before he got to training today? And uh maybe he doesn't get on with X player or Y player, you know? So I, I think, I think that's the thing is like data can take you to a certain place, but you've got to realize and factor in like how many human, human decisions and human interactions are involved in, in all of this. And it, it, it obviously helps the data side, but like there's a, there's so much more to it. I'm just intrigued. The reason I say that is obviously you take, for example, Jude Bellingham who left Birmingham now in Germany and now next move potentially and all these figures are getting thrown at him and the data tells us this it's not as straightforward as people make out no i don't think it is well like i i think you speak to any of the the clever people and that, that's often the first thing they'll tell you right like 
they they, they know. I, I think it's it's often the commentators or the people who don't know that presume clubs just rely on data or that decision is only a data decision or a money ball decision or whatever. But I, I think you actually speak to anyone doing the job and, and you know, the smart people are, are fully aware that, you know, the, the data is a part of it, but there's there's way more to it than that. I, I, I think people have it. People know that the smart people know that, I think. Um, so final question then, Rob. So what I normally do with my guests is I get them to kind of reflect back on their career. But I think because of the nature of the discipline and where it's heading, and we talked about AI at the beginning, I want you to maybe think about maybe the future of performance analysis and what that looks like. So the minute you kind of put your feet up and retire and kind of maybe While away, yes. the video analyst onto someone else, <clears throat> where do you think that will be? What do you think the the, the future of PA looks like? Yeah, I, I think it, for me, it, it kind of alluded to this earlier on, but I think it's very much going to split in. If it if it hasn't already, it's it's going to split into two two quite distinct disciplines. Certainly, where the resources allow. Obviously, at lower end, you're trying to find these unicorn people who can do a bit of everything. But for, for me, uh, there's kind of two paths. There's the analyst coach kind of role that you could be like a set piece specialist but you can do analysis and set pieces and you can coach set pieces and you kind of feel that that coaching analyst side and then I, I think there's there's a whole world of of the data side I think clubs are only producing more data leagues are only producing more data there's more and more data points both externally and internally between you know monitors and uh, athlete management systems and things like that and um, so for me I think what we refer to as a performance analyst today, uh, I think is only going to get more and more fragmented. And and certainly at the top end of pro sports, I, I don't I think that role is going to be very, very different. And and you're gonna you're gonna end up having to pick a path to go down in, in the future. If if we're not already there, I think. What about obviously relate this to to the World Cup and this is this is my final question. We've got all the data around maybe penalty kicks. It's, I presume a lot of practice goes into that, but also taking into consideration the psychological factors as well. I'm, I'm intrigued to hear how analysts might work within that um, area just to, to support that practice, because obviously it's, the, the likelihood of it happening, it, it happened yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I'm, what, what is the thought process in terms of analysis there around penalty kicks? Yeah, look, I, I, for me, I think it's it's... What's more interesting is probably the psychology side of it. Like, I think if you look at in terms of the data that's available, you know, there's no reason why, you know, any goalkeeper looking at whoever's going to take a penalty in any of the games doesn't know their last 20 penalties if if they take penalties. But then you're going to have players who are going to step up and have taken no penalties in their career or one or two penalties, which which is no data to go on. So, um, but like, for example, Messi... The data is known, right? We we know where his last hundred penalties, every penalty he's ever taken, is probably categorized and analyzed. But it's the psychology of of that where it steps in because the data is ubiquitous and everyone should have access to it or certainly could have access to it. So it's it's the other edges you're trying to find if they exist. Is is psychologically is there anything we can do both to train our own team, but also you know stuff that goalkeepers can do to off put opposition players or to look for cues or different things about where they're going that that to me is is where you'll find the edge rather than just looking at a shot map of of all the penalties and where they've gone 
Um, where can listeners contact you or, or find you? Social media, I presume? Yeah, best place is Twitter. So I'm at the video analyst on Twitter. Um, so that's that's where you'll get me. And uh, I think my DMs are open. So you're always welcome to kind of reach out and say hello. I'm always interested to talk to people. So uh, please do get in touch. Yeah. Yeah. And what we'll do is we'll put your link to your website as well as your social media in the description. So anyone watching or listening, they, they can have access to that. Great. Thank you very much for today. We enjoyed no it. No problem. Thank you for your time, Rob.